Hi there, welcome back. In this episode, Daimati and I are discussing Chapter 5 of the Kyogyo Shinsho, the magnum opus of the Japanese master Shinran. And amongst other things, in this episode we touch on uh, the idea of knowledge as remembrance, and also we continue to explore the basis of practice uh, within uh, Shin Buddhism, particularly looking at the topic of gratitude in relation to why we continue to practice. Um, so we, we chose to look at uh, chapter five, I think it is, isn't it? Yes. Um, yeah, which is um, well, a, a shortest chapter, uh, about 30 pages. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, I gave it a read. I haven't analyzed it really, really deeply. Uh, but like most of them, it consists of a lot of quotations from uh, different scriptures. I noticed this time that there were quite a lot of quotations from the Nirvana Sutra. Um, yes, there are. Which is um, one of the texts that focuses a lot on the theme of Buddha nature. Um, mm -hmm. um, did you have any initial responses to the chapter, things that called your attention, things that seemed important? First of all, a, a, a kind of a, a, just a general statement, which is which a general reaction, I guess it would be, that I really did not find very much in this chapter that inspired me. I mean, I, I just did not. I think of, of, of the things that I read, I, I, I was least uh, responsive to this, to this chapter. It seemed kind of driving home the same the same points again and again, but it didn't particularly um, it wasn't easy for me to 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 imagine how one would actually incorporate any of this into one's actual life in the way that maybe maybe the, the uh, Theravada Buddhism does. I mean you know Theravada Buddhism and the Bodhisattva path, you know the Shanti Deva people who, who write about things like that do talk about fairly practical matters like how do you deal with how do you deal with anger how do you deal with um, with grief you know there, there are specific kinds of meditative exercises this doesn't seem to be dealing on that level at all yeah I mean that seems like a good point and uh, I think I agree with you that uh, it doesn't seem to introduce much that's that's new that hasn't already been introduced. Um, I would say that in the early part of the chapter, one thing that did call my attention was the uh, extended contemplation of light and mm -hmm. different kinds of light. Mm -hmm. um, so in I think in various of the earlier sections, uh, uh, Shinran refers to or, or uh, repeats passages that talk about the different kinds of light that um, that Amitabha, or, or, or different synonyms, I should say, for the light of Amitabha. For instance, immeasurable light, boundless light, light free of attachment, unhindered right. light, etc. And there, I think there's even some places where it explores that light in a bit more detail, uh, and uh, uh, what what each of those metaphors for light mean so i think what i got out of that was more like 
um, the power of the, the 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 image or the metaphor of light uh, it, uh, as a as a way of communicating uh, Amitabha's wisdom and compassion. Mm -hmm. um, so it's more like in terms of a vision or an image uh, rather than something necessarily kind of practical uh, or um, something that you could uh, pin down. Yeah, and and and. Quotation from the the larger sutra in, in paragraph four: um, the majestic radiance of the Buddha of immeasurable life, Amitayus, is exalted and supreme. The radiance of other Buddhas cannot compare with it. For this reason, the Buddha of immeasurable life is called Buddha of immeasurable light. So, so this gives you the equivalence of Amitayus is Amitabha. They're one and yeah. the same. Yeah. It, it, it tells you why boundless light, unhindered light, incomparable light, Lord of blazing light, light of purity, and and so on, and and that that um, is is the first instance in this chapter of a theme that repeats um, many times, which is making various kinds of equivalents. So you you have the you know the um, all of these terms like dharmakaya, um, tathagata, you know Buddha nature, nirvana um, are all eventually equated as being equivalent to one another. Um, and let me see if I can find an example of that. And I, I wasn't quite sure what to make of all that. Um, yeah. Well. One example in this chapter is where uh, he talks about uh, uh, Jinen. Um, so this is in section 34. Um, and Jinen uh, was sometimes is translated as naturalness. And it says, drawn by the Buddha, we return effortlessly to naturalness. Jinen is itself the land of Amida. So Jinen is being equated with Sukhavati, which, you know, um, on the surface, they seem quite different ideas to me. Um, yeah. but, but that's, he, 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 well, that's what it says. Jinen is itself the land of Amida. Uh, I mean, Jinen, I understood to be some kind of spontaneous or, or natural way of being in harmony with the enlightened mind or expressing the enlightened mind, something like that. Uh, and Jinan being the sort of um, phenomenological eruption of Amida's mind in your conduct, uh, yeah. something like that. Uh, right. Because I think Jinan, when Jinan is in operation, if you like, you are acting in accordance with Amida's mind, I think, or you're acting in accordance with enlightenment, to put it in, in other words. Yeah, undefiled by passions, unarisen, it is true reality. And and well, then that's another confusing thing. So then, it, Jinin seems to be a kind of an ontolo uh, ontological basis. Uh, and I'd always, I'd understood Jinin to be something more like, like I say, a kind of phenomenological manifestation uh, of um, of enlightened perception. Yeah. And that's where it gets confusing that all of these ideas get combined together because they seem they seem different ideas, really. Uh, 
I mean, another thing that happens here in this chapter is uh, in the discussion of Buddha nature. And Buddha nature seems to start to seem like maybe Amitabha within you. Maybe. Right. Right. Uh, or, or at the very least, Buddha nature is something gifted to you uh, by Amitabha. Um, yeah. Um, On page 170, we have of the of volume two. I'm just going to look up Jinan again. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're quite difficult to, to pin down a lot of these ideas, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, Jinan, Jinan Honi, um, a term for the ultimate reality of Buddhism, expressing suchness or things as they are, free from the bondage of birth and death. Jinan, Jinan thus signifies that which is beyond form and time. Uh and beyond the domain of human intellect and will. It is Dharma body as suchness, which fills the hearts and minds of the ocean of all beings. To awaken Dharma body as suchness is to become Buddha. Okay, so I was wrong. Um, so it, it, there it seems like Jinan is kind of a synonym for Dharmakaya then. Yeah, and then Jinan is, is Amida's vow, works to have each person entrust himself in Namo Amida Butsa and, and be received in the pure land. That is, it brings us to the realization. It brings us to the realization of Shinjin. Yeah. In which we attain non-retrogression. So in that sense, it kind of, to me, seems a bit more like um, uh, an active force within you or something that is um, directing you uh, towards enlightenment so in that way it could seem a bit more like the idea of buddha nature but in an active way um that's what interests me about it um uh, amida acting through you uh to bring you towards um self-awareness or to bring you towards uh awareness of uh your enlightened nature yeah and and it then says as you can see to be made to become so means that without the practice practices calculating in any way whatever all that practice practices past present and future evil karma is transformed into the higher good we are made to acquire the tathagata's virtues through entrusting ourselves to the vow power therefore it's translated as the spontaneous working of the vow right quite mysterious isn't it it doesn't seem to me so easily pinned down because well I, I can see in there at least two different visions of what it means that seem quite different from one another so that the first one as it says there it expresses the idea of things as they are just as they are so it seems to be a kind of synonym for reality I guess uh, um, but then there's an idea of it that seems to be uh, much more in terms of an active force that somehow doesn't belong to us. It's not, it's not property of the uh, egocentric mind, but it, it, it emerges or it erupts within our experience to, uh, to draw us towards or to take us towards um, the pure land, mm -hmm. or in other words, enlightenment. So is it then something like bodhicitta? I don't, I don't know. It, 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 there's a couple in that, in that 
article on Junan in, in the um, the glossary section of, of of the second book, second volume. Um, he, he gives one one image, which is that it's like the dawn following a night of darkness. So it's kind of the beginning, and he also emphasizes that it's something that happens to it happens to someone. It's not something that they can bring on themselves. So in that way, I would I would I would think that it differs from bodhicitta because, at least in traditional, um, well, in you know, Shanti Deva, um, bodhicitta is something that you're constantly working to cultivate, and 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 in the you know bhavana krama, it's a text like text like the Bhavana Krama, you, um, you set the stage for developing the intention of saving all sentient beings from the root causes of suffering by reflecting on all of the ways there are of being in, 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 a, in a state of pain, in a state of turmoil, in all of the different realms and um, and, the, and, the, and, and sort of contemplating the universality of suffering, that no matter where you go, uh, no, no matter which realm you're in, you, you'll always find beings who are, um, who are, who are suffering. Um, and, 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 that, and that then, you know, that's something that you do, you reflect on that, and then out of that arises this feeling that something must be done about this, this suffering that's going on, and, and let me be part of the uh, let me be part of the uh, solution rather than continuing to be part of the problem. So it, it doesn't sound very much like this thing that just happens to you without you doing anything to bring it on. Right. So what what you're saying is that um, in relation to the idea of bodhicitta, we do practices and we create conditions. Uh, that can give rise to the bodhicitta and right. maybe even strengthen that. Uh, but in terms of jinin, uh, it's not like that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess it, it, it all comes back to this critique of calculation and self-power, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Because maybe you could use the same, you could apply the same critique to the arising of bodhicitta and maybe you could say that, well, as long as you're attempts to um, uh, to give birth to the bodhicitta are motivated by kind of egocentric motives if you like right. you're, ne you're never going to give rise to the bodhicitta because the bodhicitta right. is is a um, an altruistic um, impulse it's not it's, it's not rooted in uh, one's own uh, interests or, or or the desire to liberate oneself Right. I'm kind of wondering whether there's a way in which they can be um, they can be seen in harmony, but maybe they're looking at things from a different point of view. I certainly agree with you that uh, the Bodhicari Avatara emphasizes, if you like, it emphasizes self-power, doesn't it? It emphasizes mm -hmm. self-power as essential uh, in giving rise to uh, and also uh, 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 strengthening uh, bodhicitta. But there's also quite a lot of hints about, about bodhicitta being beyond the, the individual um, will as well. So there's a passage where uh, Sh um, Shantideva says something like, 
somehow the bodhicitta has arisen in me. Uh, you know, it's almost like some kind of miracle uh, that this right. impulse has arisen. Right. And that seems to suggest that it the flash of lightning on a dark night. Right. That it isn't yeah. a product of uh, individual calculation or individual effort. It, it, it is kind of like an adhistana, like a blessing uh, that it's right. arisen. But he does then uh, talk a lot about how to maintain that and, uh, and, to, and to strengthen it. He, he does talk in those terms. Right. But then if, if Jinin then, uh, if, if, if there, is, there aren't things that you can do to give rise to it, um, so what do you do or what can you do? I know. The, 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 this, this is, to me, the, the biggest single puzzle of Shinran is, is um, you know, the question of what is the, what is the practice? I mean, the, it seems to be that it, um, recitation of Nimbutsu, that's, that's the practice. But you, but, but you practice it not with any aim in mind. That seems right. to be another part of it. You don't practice it in order to. Right. Um, uh, mostly the, the, the proposal would be to practice it as an expression of gratitude, maybe. Exactly. Right. Right. So, so, so insofar as there is a practice, it's, it is, it, and, and I could, I can really see how, um, not just understand, but I mean, from knowing people who are involved, you know, Japanese people who are Shin Buddhists, you can actually see that their whole lives are steeped in um, everything that they do almost is an expression of some kind of some kind of gratitude it's 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 really difficult to describe but it's a very it's a very palpable force in Japanese culture again it takes me back to this idea that maybe the only the only way to understand what Shinran is saying is if you um, if you start with an assumption that we are already enlightened uh, or that we have already been saved or something like that. So in other words, practice uh, doesn't serve an instrumental function. Uh, it's not, it doesn't have a goal in mind. Uh, more that practice actually uh, is the, the fruit of the goal or, or um, uh, is the overflowing of having already realized the goal. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way that you can understand it. So you, you can never uh, appropriate practice as a condition uh, that gives rise to the goal. Um, rather, any kind of practice could only ever be a manifestation of the goal or, or an expression of the goal. And this again seems to me to take me back to, to Dogen again, uh, about the idea of practice as enlightenment. Um, mm -hmm. it, it seems to me to be quite a similar idea. Um, so, so practice manifests the goal instead of being uh, a kind of step towards the goal. Mm -hmm. Because that, in Shinran's thought, that's the only way you can possibly avoid calculation. You know, the idea that your, your practice leads to something and if I put in the effort, I'll get there. Right. The only way you can avoid that is to think, well, um, uh, the goal is gifted. Obviously, it is gifted. Gifted. We, we've been gifted uh, a meter's mind, if you like. That is eternally true. And the only function of practice could be to express kind of joy and gratitude 
about that. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and you're saying that has sort of helped me see a little bit more clearly what it is in the meditation of Thurman that I was referring to earlier. You know, when he talks about when you initially stop being, stop doing things and just sit quietly, the mind may be racing with what, what he calls the, you know, the, uh, the busy traffic of, of ideas. And a lot of them have to do with questions of what am I doing with my life? Am I doing enough? Should I be, you know, uh, 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 am I working towards goals? Am I, am, I, am I moving towards them efficiently? All of these questions arise. But if you go deeper into the silence, those, those questions become less influential, less compelling. And um, maybe that deeper silence is, Thurman also talks a lot about gratitude. Um, and it seems to be the foundation of his ability to face injustice squarely without without becoming angry about it, without becoming without responding in a violent and aggressive way. And I can imagine that if that if you if you really took this idea of that you are that first of all that that, that enlightenment is inevitable that that you have this intrinsic Buddha nature within you, um, that reciting the Nembutsu is a way of being in touch with that, with that reality. It's, it's not a means of bringing the reality about, but it's a, it's a means of recognizing that. And, and, and that, um, that, could, that could enable one to withstand an awful lot, a, a, a good many of the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. <laughs> Yeah, so it becomes a kind of remembrance. Uh, practice becomes yeah. a kind of remembrance uh, instead of um, a, uh, a a kind of tool or um, a step towards something. Exactly, and 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 and, and actually, the, the Japanese word nembutsu does literally translate remembering. In you know the the nen, nen part is, is a character for for remembering, for remembrance. Yeah, I, I kind of um, recently, I've been going back a bit or, or being reminded of, uh, you know, Plato's theory of knowledge, um, uh, which as I understand it, is a kind of theory about knowledge as remembrance. Um, mm. and I can't remember which of the dialogues that emerges in. Uh, is it Protagoras? I'm not sure, but it is one of them. And uh, more and more, I'm finding it quite an attractive idea um, uh, so rather than seeing knowledge as something that you achieve uh, or, or you, you know, you find after a search, this idea of it being something that you remember. And then when you remember it, it seems very familiar because you've known it before, if you like. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I, there's something quite compelling in that idea to me uh, about knowledge as, as remembering, uh, not knowledge as, as discovering. And I think, right. it, uh, and I find it particularly compelling in relation to thinking about the Dharma path. So instead of discovering, if you like, the Dharma path, you know, you remember it. And, you know, going back to uh, say something that, that Bante said when he first read the Diamond Sutra, you know, he realized he'd be, he was a Buddhist and he always had been. And it seems like this idea about remembering or coming back to yourself um, uh, that I find quite um, 
powerful. I mean, we get that in, for instance, the um, the uh, the parable of the hidden jewel, you know, in the right. Lotus Sutra. Right. Uh, and when Bante talks about that parable, he also uh, tells the story of an Egyptian. I think it's an Egyptian tale, uh, which is a, which is called the 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 story of the pearl. And I think it's about some celestial being that his job is to take a, a pearl down to earth. I think this is the case. And he comes down to earth, but he forgets what his purpose was. And he's carrying the pearl around with him. And then at some point remembers what his purpose was. Um, and it kind of feels like life's a bit like that. You know, we're, we're in the process of trying to remember uh, what we were put here for or what we are here for. Right. Uh, it seems quite a com compelling idea. So relating that, I guess, to the idea of uh, enlightenment and so on, rather than thinking that we're trying to get there or, or, or find out what it means, um, we could think more, we're just trying to remember what we've all, always already been in touch with. I, I mean, this, this is a theme that comes up a lot in Shinran. I think I mentioned it before, this idea of always already. Right. Um, but we're constantly as well forgetting. Um, and I like what you said about practice. Practice is a way of tuning in again or something uh, or remembering again uh, what, what we are feel, here for, what our lives are about. Instead of thinking that practice is going to bring us some result in the sense that it's going to take us away or it's going to take us to some new place. It's more like a way of yeah recollecting ourselves, recollecting uh, why we're here, what we're here for, what our values are. And so in that way, um, the whole idea of enlightenment, awakening, becomes something very ready to hand. It doesn't, it's not something mm -hmm. alien or far away. Um, it's actually just simply a remembering of what we actually already are. And that seems to come out again, to me, comes out very strongly in uh, Dogen. Uh, and it seems to also come out quite strongly, I think, in Shinran. So in both cases, or, or in neither, neither case, is practice a means to an end. Uh, practice uh, reveals the end. It's evidence of the end, you could say. So, no, the, the, yeah, go ahead. No, that, that, that reminds me of a... Uh, um, a lecture that I heard given by uh, Griffith, Griffith uh, Folk, who was explaining the, the, the sort of in fairly, um, not, not exactly facile, but, but, but simplified um, understanding the difference between Soto Zen and, and Rinzai Zen, is he said that, and he had practiced both. He had said in Rinzai Zen, you sit, to become enlightened. That's, you know, you sit in order to have Kensho or Satori and, and, and in, in um, Jodo, I mean, not, not Jodo, in uh, Soto Zen, which follows much more the teachings of Dogen. Sitting is the most, um, it's, 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 it's the purest form of manifestation of your intrinsic nature, which is that you're, you're intrinsically a Buddha. And what Buddhas do is that they sit. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of an interesting, an interesting, but, but, 
I, 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 I was quite intrigued with that when I, when I heard that talk because, um, well, it actually changed. I was, I was practicing Zen at the time and it, it really changed my attitude a lot toward the Zen practice because I think that I entered into Zen practice um, thinking that doing, by, by doing a fairly intense, rigorous, disciplined Zen practice, it would, um, it would make me a better Buddhist. Or, you know, I don't know. It would bring me closer to enlightenment or, or something like that. But, 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 but then I started thinking, well, that's having that kind of a goal in a way kind of defeats the, um, the purity of sitting in, in meditation. And I, and I, and I, I began when, you know, when I would sit on the Zen cushion, when I would approach a Zen cushion and sit on it, try to see it as this is simply a manifestation of, um, of, of Buddha nature, of a kind of intrinsic Buddha nature. That sounds amazing. It, it, you know, it sounds a bit like, uh, I don't know, living in a state of grace or something. Um, right. So rather than being in the anxiety of striving towards, uh, you're kind of living in the blessing of simply revealing something that's already there. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in, 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 instead of sitting, I guess, in Shin, it's saying the name. It's like... Um, uh, than in Butsu, um, and and that becomes a kind of joyous expression of connection, I suppose, instead right. instead of a uh, a way of making yourself worthy. You know, it's not mm -hmm. a way of making yourself worthy, or it's not a way of uh, disciplining yourself, or uh, creating good karma, or whatever it might be. Yeah, it simply becomes a, a joyous expression of connection. Yeah. Uh, and and maybe that's where the the jinin comes in again because it's naturalness, so it's not contrived. It's not. It doesn't have. It's not calculated. It doesn't have. Um, uh, it's not aiming for something in particular. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's it's you know you can't you can't imagine if you're doing nembutsu or or soto zen with the right attitude that you would say, well. Here it is, seven o'clock in the evening, and I haven't done my nembutsu yet. I'd better do it. You know, it's sort of a sense of, you know, <laughs> because you know, you, you never have to have, you never have a sense of, oh, I have to celebrate now. I have to, you know, <laughs> you just do it. Right? This this kind of feeling of celebration is very important. I think is in the spirit of nembutsu. Good. I, I I found a, I, I found a passage that that um, that I found puzzling when I was first reading this, where a number of equivalences are made. And I, it's, it's actually paragraph 11 on page 181, right at the bottom of page 181. Yeah. Good sons, all created things are impermanent. Boundless space is the uncreated, hence it is eternal. Buddha nature is the uncreated, hence it is eternal. Boundless space is Buddha nature. Buddha nature is Tathagata. Tathagata is the uncreated. The uncreated is the eternal. The eternal is Dharma. Dharma is Sangha. Sangha is the uncreated. The uncreated is the eternal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I'm, I'm judging from the expression on your face that. <laughs> uh, so that's attributed to the Nirvana Sutra, isn't it? That's seen that's, as a uh, a quotation uh, from right. the Nirvana Sutra. Nirvana Sutra, right? Um, so it starts off with the idea that all created things are impermanent, which uh, is a fairly standard statement. Right. Uh, but then it talks about the uncreated. Um, in terms of boundless space, and therefore that boundless space being eternal. Um, so the eternal is what is not created. I mean, that, that I guess that makes a certain sense because we're talking about something beyond conditionality, I guess, beyond time, uh, and well, and, and beyond space, certainly in the ordinary sense that we understand it. Um, this boundless space is presumably not Newtonian space, let's say. Right. Um, the, but then it says Buddha nature is the uncreated, hence it is eternal. Um, I mean, it, it would be useful if it explained in what sense or what does it mean to say that Buddha nature is the uncreated, wouldn't it? Yeah. And, and, and in what sense is boundless space Buddha nature? Um, I, we must be dealing with metaphors here rather than some... Although, although these kind of equations are being made, I'm not sure how far they're intended to be taken as literal equivalents. Um, right. And, and maybe this is more some kind of poetic evocation. So a bit like, I don't know, Buddha nature is like boundless space or something. Um, but in what sense is it? I suppose it's like boundless space in the sense that... Um, it's not limited, obviously, that's one thing. Um, yeah, I, I did underline this as well, but I'm not sure that I have got very clear thoughts about it. You know, the, what, what it goes on to say is kind of interesting, and that good sons, it is like taking milk from a cow, rendering cream from the milk, rendering curdled milk from the cream. Yeah, rendering curdled. butter from the curdled milk and render, rendering manda from the butter. I don't know what manda is. Um, apparently it's the finest, whatever it is. So that's describing conditionality, isn't it? Right. Manda usually means, um, I mean, one translation that you find for that in dictionaries is scum. It's kind of, it's, it's like the, uh, well, I, I make yogurt fairly, fairly okay. often. And, yeah. and, you know, when you heat milk and then, and then it cools down, it forms a kind of a, a skin on top of the milk. Mm. Um, I think that's what, what Munda is, although that's not what you make butter from. Well, Munda is the finest. Munda is a metaphor for Buddha nature. Buddha nature is none other than Tathagata. Yeah. Good sons, for this reason, it is taught that the virtues possessed by the Tathagata are immeasurable, boundless, and incalculable. Well, I mean, yeah. it's not easy to follow, and they're clearly not arguments in any sense that we might understand them. Right. Um, yeah, you know, some, sometimes manda also means like the the essence of um, sort of like the maybe the nutritional essence of of milk um, or the, you know the 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 part which is the most the most delicious perhaps. All of these metaphors about milk don't correspond very well with my experience with milk. Right. There was a, a a time when I I, I spent a summer living on a, on a kind of a 
essentially a commune and, 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 and I milked the cow every day and, and brought the, and brought the fresh milk in and it, and it would be, some of it would be refrigerated and some of it would be put aside in jars. And when, when it was put aside in jars, it would separate and then um, people would, would, would stir it rapidly not not even in an urn they just used a, a wooden spoon or something and and they would make butter out of it and um yeah so i guess you, you get the separation of the the, uh, the fat rises to the top and from that you make butter yeah maybe it's trying to point towards the sort of the um the miraculousness of conditionality yeah. That you know, it's easy enough to talk about cream turning into milk and milk turning into cream and butter, etc. But actually, you know, yeah. it, it's all quite mysterious, really, isn't it? It um, is, yeah. And particularly, you know, if you ask the question, uh, when when does curdled milk become butter? Mm -hmm. It's kind of almost impossible to say when that happens. Exactly. And in, 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 in Buddhist philosophy, the, um, the transition from milk into butter or yogurt or, or in fact, I'm thinking that manda might be sort of the way it's talked about here, something like, like a clarified butter like ghee. Right, yeah. Um, which is a very, very pure um, oil sort of um, but it's 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 almost always given as the fundamental puzzle of causation. Yeah. You know, well, all along that ghee was was in the milk when it came out of the cow. <laughs> it was intrinsically there, you know, and, and um but so was all this other, you know, the the whey and the mm. the uh the curds and, and uh, it's 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 all there in the in the milk. And yet milk can't be identified as any of those things because milk has different properties from, from ghee.